And welcome, everybody, to the Persuasion School podcast. Obviously, your favorite podcast. It's yours, right, Alexa? It is. <laughs> My most listened. Yes. Should be. And that's true. It Shoot, is. man. My name is Jake Savage. Welcome again. Here with my beautiful, lovely, amazing, talented wife, Smart. Alexa. Smart. Yeah, good call. Hello, dear listeners. Dear listeners. Yes, Persuasion School podcast. I've been giving shorter and shorter intros every time as we progress, assuming most people at this point know who I am, a little bit of my backstory. So here we go, even shorter Former door-to-door salesman, then sales trainer, 14 years of sales experience altogether. So I now (laughs) teach people through this podcast, Persuasion School, how to be more persuasive, how to be a more effective communicator, how to get what you want in life. So it's not necessarily for salespeople. This is for the masses. Anybody and everybody that wants to become more persuasive, this is where you come to do so. Things like deals, donations, dates, triple D. Also raises, negotiating for raises with your boss. Promotions, negotiating for promotions with your boss. Dates, no, I already said dates. Raises, promotions, what else? Oh, jobs, if you're interviewing for a job. Yeah. Nail the interview. Yeah, which I feel like a lot of people might be interviewing right now. Tons of people are interviewing right now. So if you want to nail your next interview, I think this is a great place to spend your time. I do too. Yeah, good. We release weekly episodes. It's one principle or method at a time regarding uh, persuasive communication, something that's easily digestible and then actionable. So that's kind of the most important thing. As soon as the episode is over, ideally you can put this to use in your everyday life to be a more effective communicator. So, uh, uh, and also Alexa joins me as somebody who's not in sales to provide third-party perspective, interject with questions at times. And more importantly, she doesn't know what I have planned each episode. So it's brand new to her. So as she hears it, uh, or as you guys hear it, she's hearing it also for the first time. She can ask some questions. And it's usually a good time. This week I saw on your computer a little snapshot. You did see a little snapshot. But I don't know the full extent. Okay. Well, I'm excited to share it with you. All right, so this week is a special week. A lot going on. Inauguration Day. We also released our second uh, episode under the new series. This is all still under the Persuasion School umbrella, but it's called Whiskey Wednesday. And this is a more informal time where Alexa and I get together and chat about fun things that are going on in my life. Got a lot of crazy things happening this year and just always in general. So if you want to learn more about me as a person, which is what a lot of the audience members were requesting, that's where you do it. Pop on to Whiskey Wednesday. Check out the past two. Boom. Now transitioning into our weekly episode of the actual Persuasion School podcast. I've got something I think pretty educational for most people. Lay it on me. And relevant. So I got started thinking about this just because we had MLK Day on Monday. So most people, I would say, are familiar with the idea of Martin Luther King Jr. being a very persuasive individual. I think he'll probably go down as one of the most persuasive people of all time that ever walked the planet just because he changed the hearts and minds of so many people. Mm -hmm. 
And I think this is a skill that he crafted over time as a natural storyteller and as a preacher pastor. I think he had that ability to transfer his emotion and energy into an audience. And he had probably honed in on that skill through preaching. But I also think that MLK was persuasive because in reality, and maybe unfortunately, it was his only real tool. Anything else to try to create change probably wasn't going to work during those times. He had no other option but to be persuasive. He knew that if he could get the, the key people, if he could change their hearts and minds, he could create some momentum and like a critical mass for bigger change down the road. And so he obviously spent a lot of time working on this skill. And it's not by accident that some of his speeches are the most famous speeches ever given. <clears throat> now, what I wanted to do today was just do a quick breakdown of some things I picked up from his I Have a Dream speech. We're not going to be able to play it. It's not public domain. It belongs to, I believe, the King Institute still. But uh, I, I was able to pull some of the, uh, I mean, just transcript. And I'm going to read bits and pieces of it and then provide my thoughts on the speech as to why it's so persuasive. Why does it work? Why does it move us emotionally and on other levels? And how can we use these same principles of persuasion when trying to make a change for good in our own life or in the lives of others? All right, so here we go. I have a dream speech from MLK. Key points, the most persuasive parts from his 1963 speech from right here in the beautiful promised land of Washington, D.C., the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. All right, so I noticed when reading the speech that he starts off very light, lightheartedly. He begins his speech by saying, five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous degree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. So this is a lighthearted start and starting off on a positive note. But he knows that in order to keep the audience hooked, he needs to introduce a little bit of tension. Now, this is also the same method that storytellers use for Hollywood films or best-selling novels as introduce a little bit of tension and then dopamine, which is usually a release of the tension because our brains are, uh, we, we receive a hit of dopamine when we're expecting something, right? Like you're expecting the good feeling from smoking a cigarette. And as soon as you do, the dopamine kicks in or our phone screen is black as it sits on our table and we're expecting a notification to go off. And as soon as it does, our brains get a little hit of dopamine. So you bounce back and forth between creating this tension and then the dopamine. So tension and then release of tension. What's the, where's the dopamine in that? Well, he's, he's not getting there yet. So he starts off okay. light on a positive note to kick the speech off. And then he introduces first the tension. So the tension needs to come first so that the dopamine or release of tension can come later. Hmm. So right. Because you don't want the hit before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it starts off light. And that last sentence, one more time, it came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But then 
the tension kicks in. And this is where he frames the winter is coming. I say this in, in quotes, like something bad is happening. He switches it to, but 100 years later, the Negro is still not free. So starts off light, introduces a little tension by taking the speech in a different direction. Then he transitions into tapping into our emotions. In other words, pathos. So MLK was also a persuasive writer, and persuasive writing is also known as rhetoric. And Aristotle is the father of rhetoric, and he said that the three pillars of persuasion are logos, pathos, and ethos. In other words, emotion, logic, and ethos being the credibility or character of the speaker. So those are the three most important things when trying to persuade somebody. So MLK starts off light, introduces a little tension, and then taps into our emotion. He does this by using a metaphor, an emotional metaphor that everybody can relate to. He says, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. It's obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. So here he is tapping, to the emo tapping into the emotion. So starting off, let's, let's keep recapping as we go along. Starting off light, introducing some tension, and then tapping into our emotions, right? That, that pathos that I mentioned. Then instead of continuing down that path and creating even more tension and maybe stirring up some, some difficult emotions, he gives that hit of dopamine I was talking about by relieving the tension. So after finishing up saying that uh, the check came back marked insufficient funds, he relieves the tension by saying, but we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So again, he's keeping the audience engaged by causing tension. He's intentionally causing the tension and then easing the tension. So he knows what he's doing. Moving forward, he wants to create a sense of urgency. Now, this is key when persuading other people. If there's no sense of urgency, there's no reason for them to make a decision right now. And if you're trying to get somebody else to make a decision that's in your favor, but you're lacking a sense of urgency, again, what reason do they have to say yes or to move forward right now? So MLK comes in with a sense of urgency. He says, we have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. And now he starts to hammer this in through repetition. He says, now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial, racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. He says, now is the time, four sentences in a row. Wow. Yeah, so not only is he creating this sense of urgency, he's hammering it in so the audience knows, okay, now is the time. This has to happen now. Then, very importantly, he clarifies what's at stake if it does not happen now. 
There are a lot of people, especially I've seen in sales, that try to create this sense of urgency, but it's almost a false sense of urgency, and they never follow it up with what's at stake. That's what the audience is thinking. If you say, well, I need, we need to move forward today, internally they're thinking, well, what does it matter if I do or don't? Hmm. Right. So he needs to clarify to the audience, well, what's at stake if we don't? Because he needs them to buy in. So in order to clarify at stake, he says, he follows that up, that, that uh, now is the time with the, with the four sentences in a row. He follows that up by saying, and those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. And there will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizen, citizenship rights. So clarifying it needs to happen then clarifying what's at stake if it doesn't happen. So it's starting to really sink in to the audience. Okay, we've got starting off light. We've got introducing tension. We've got tapping into emotion or pathos. We've got relieving tension, creating a sense of urgency, clarifying what's at stake. Now he taps into one of the other of the three pillars from Aristotle, which is ethos. And that's the credibility or character of the speaker. So after describing what's at stake, he says clearly, let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. So he's, I think he's conveying his character in these two sentences by letting people know what the right way is, you know, moving forward. And in an MLK's perspective, you know, taking the high road, right? So he's, he's hammering that in a little bit. Then what he does is he wants to throw out some unifying themes between the audience and him as the speaker. And this is important because if you're ever trying to get somebody to buy into your idea or believe what it is that, you know, you're saying or, or you know, donate to your mission, whatever it is, you need to be able to speak the language of your stakeholder. You have to speak their language, not just yours. You need to realize that they're thinking, what's in this for me? And if you can't tap into to their methods of communication, you're not going to really get through. So MLK brings in a unifying theme, right? Because he's really trying to address both the, the black community in the crowd, but also the white community in the crowd. And he says, for many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. So now he's unifying all parties in the audience. So any, you know, white community can't think, oh, this isn't for me. I'm not responsible here. He's making sure that everybody is brought under the fold. So, so far for the pillars of persuasion, he's used ethos and pathos. He's uh, made a nod to his character as an individual, and he's tapped into our emotions. The last thing, at least as far as uh, rhetoric is concerned, is logos yeah, or logic. So he knows he needs to introduce logic as well. And this is how we do it. This is how he does it, moving along in the speech. He says... There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? 
We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating, for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. So he says we will not be satisfied six times in a row, but he follows up each one of those we will not be satisfied with a completely logical statement. So especially to the white community listening in the audience, there's no, like there's nothing that they could balk at in response to what MLK is saying they won't be satisfied until, right? Because nothing is outside of, nothing is unreasonable. Everything is completely logical. Logical. We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. Okay. That's not unreasonable. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in motels of highways and hotels of the cities. Not unreasonable. And just continues down through all six. It's completely logical. So the white community in the crowd has to sit there and listen and say, yep, okay. I mean, it's... He's using logic. This this makes total sense. These are things that are happening, yeah. Yeah. So now all of those pillars have been addressed. Logos, pathos, ethos. He's bouncing back and forth between causing tension and relieving tension. He's keeping the audience engaged. Nobody is drifting off during this speech. That's for sure. And then he kind of puts the last nail in the coffin as far as like what's the problem What's the big problem here and uh, and causing a little bit more tension before he goes into the final release of tension? He says, I'm not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. And some of you have come from areas where your quest, quest for freedom, left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. So, again, he's recognizing, I, I know where some of you are at, and he's... He's talking about how bad those places are and causing even more tension. So now a turning point, a little bit of that dopamine with the release of tension. He follows it up by saying, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends. And so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It's a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. So that's the turning point before he starts to escalate and provide the big release of tension and transference of emotion. And we've said multiple times on Persuasion School, sales is a transference of emotion. Persuasion is a transference of emotion. And this is where he is getting ready. He's relieving the tension and he is going to transfer this emotion to all those people standing out there by the reflecting pool in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And then as most of us know, he goes on to hammer the rest of his speech out, knock it out of the park by saying, uh, repeating nine times, I have a dream, and then explain different versions 
of that dream. He's transitioning from speaker to preacher as he conveys that emotion and transfers that emotion, transfers that energy and that feeling from himself as the speaker into us as the audience. And he's painting an ultra clear picture for what the future looks like by saying that he has a dream nine times in a row. So that by the end, there is no fuzziness left. Everybody knows exactly what's needed in order to move forward and make progress. Okay. A lot of information. I mean, it is a 17 minute speech, but there's a a lot of information there. But the point is Martin Luther King Jr. knew exactly what he was doing when he put that together. Uh, weaving in epinephrine and dopamine, the tension and the relief of tension, tapping into all three of the pillars of persuasion, logos, pathos, and ethos, again, logic, emotion, and his character, and weaving in unifying themes between the speaker and the audience, both the white community and the black community. And then he moved on to paint a clear picture of what the problem was through repetition. And then he painted a clear picture of what the solution was through repetition. He created a sense of urgency and he clarified what's at stake if nothing were to happen. So these are some of the tools that we can use in our language. If you are trying to create some type of change for good and you need multiple people to buy into what it is that you're saying... I think it's important that we utilize some of these principles from MLK's speech. Are you causing tension in the way you tell your story or is it kind of bland? And then once you provide that tension, are you ever providing a relief of tension, the dopamine, or does it stay tense the entire time? You need to consider this from your audience's vantage point. And then are you making sure to tap on all three of those pillars of persuasion are you introducing logic, emotion, and are you ta- or are you making a point to acknowledge your character and your credibility? Are you creating a sense of urgency? And if you are, are you clarifying what's at stake if nothing happens? Thoughts to consider from one of the most persuasive individuals to ever walk the planet. Hope this was helpful. I know it was a lot of information all packed into one episode, but hey, it was MLK Day on Monday. I think it was a a perfect time to go through it and we'll probably unpack some of those principles even more separately on future episodes. But that is it for today. Guys, if you're looking for more content on persuasive communication, you can DM me on Instagram, probably the, uh, the best way. I'm super active on there. It's at It's Jake Savage. Got plenty of content on there for uh, just becoming more persuasive, some stuff about Ironman training as well, of course. And then you can also visit my uh, new website, persuasionschoolpodcast.com. Learn a little bit about, learn a little bit more about me, what's going on. Also very excited at the very bottom of that website, something really cool. My wife and I are passionate about fighting human trafficking and it's Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And if you have been wanting to fight the good fight, but you've been a victim of paralysis by analysis, meaning you didn't know where to start. There were so many different choices of places you could donate. You can just donate straight there and we'll take care of it. We're going to pass it on to a couple of different global nonprofits that are fighting human trafficking and uh, some local nonprofits that are fighting human trafficking. So it's good stuff. Pretty excited about that. If you have questions that you want answered on the show or a topic suggestion, go to the website, persuasionschoolpodcast.com. As that's it. 
Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you.